Greetings, and welcome to the Pinups and Poltergeist podcast. I'm your host, Ruby Stardust, and this is episode one. Woo! So exciting! All right, so here's where it all begins, ladies and gentlemen. The first episode. So some of you might be thinking this is an odd combination. Pinup, pretty, glamorous, and poltergeist, creepy and dark. But I'll tell you, it's actually a perfect combination. I have been a pinup model for about two years now, and as I've made my way out in this world of, of pinup, I've met a lot of really wonderful people, like-minded people, and I found one thing we all have in common is that, aside from this retro nostalgia, we also really love all things spooky. Ghost stories, haunted houses, horror movies, all that stuff. And I've been wanting to do a podcast for, gosh, probably over a year, probably close to two years, and... I just haven't found that thing that I felt needed, to, that niche that I felt needed to be filled, so to speak. And there's lots of great horror podcasts out there. There's podcasts about pinup, all those things. So, but this is going to be kind of an intersection of, of those interests. So it's definitely a niche, but I think the people that are into it are really going to love this. I know I'm super excited and I, and I hope you guys will like it too. So just a quick little intro since it's the first one, what this podcast is going to be like, what the format's going to kind of be. Um, first off, we're going to start off usually with something pinup related um, or, or retro sort of pinup retro lifestyle related stuff. In the future, I plan on having guests. So there will be other sort of viewpoints and, and uh, people to talk about this with. And then we would follow it with like a real life supernatural story or ghost story, something real and, and, and true that, is, that has happened to someone. Um, some of my guests might bring things. I'm going to start off with my own story for this episode. And then we're going to follow it with some kind of a media review related to all things spooky or horror. So it could be a movie or a show or a book or something like that. And then at the end, like most podcasts, I'm going to take listener questions. I really love interacting with people. That is something, you know, we're still kind of in this pandemic and I've super duper missed having conversations. And so this is kind of a way to do that um, and talk to you all and then hear from you all. So let's launch into it. I thought for the pinup topic, I would actually kind of talk a little bit about myself and what pinup is to me. Uh, so you could get to know me a, a little bit better <laughs> since I'm going to be hosting this show. So uh, as I mentioned, I've been doing podcast for about two years podcast pin up <laughs> I'm doing podcasts for about two minutes technically so yeah and what got me into pin up and what does it mean to me so I've actually always loved sort of that the retro nostalgia thing my I was very close I am very close to my grandparents you know spent a lot of time with them growing up watched a lot of old movies and my grandma was always like many women of her era she was always very well put together and I just really you know it holds a special place in my heart. I love my grandparents. I'm very close to them. And there's something comforting and familiar about it. It's just an aesthetic I love. You know, all the old cars that I love are usually classic cars. <laughs> old cars. The cars I love are usually classic cars. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what got me into it. What pinup is to me is, is you know, it's a style, obviously, there's the old pinups with, you know, the posters that get put up. Um, 
that guys will put in their garage or, or that soldiers would put up, you know, when they were away fighting, something to remind them of home. And I kind of associate it with that and, and things done in that sort of style. So it's not just about being sexy. It's about it's sort of evoking that nostalgic vibe um, with, with the look and the feel. So doing a pinup shoot, for example, it isn't just me. It's also the photographer. We'll often bring in a car or truck that, that someone is very lovingly restored and kept alive. So it's almost kind of a, a lifestyle thing to me. It's not just pinup. I look cute. I take pictures. There's there's a whole lot to it. There's the music. You know, I love all uh, sort of the, the older vintage music, um, 50 stuff, the 60 stuff. So, you know, it's not all I love. I, I'm also, I would consider myself like a gothic pinup. Um, I'm a goth chick. I love all that stuff. I'm very inspired kind of by more of the gothic pinups, so to speak, like Elvira and Dita Von Teese. Um, but yeah, so, and this and this is just what pinup is to me. I think it's going to be different to everyone. I can't speak for everyone. This is, this is my perspective. And um, I also want to say I really love... The fact that the pinup sort of retro community now is so very inclusive. There's this saying that I've been seeing floating around. It's vintage aesthetic, not vintage values. Um, the idea of everyone being welcome, all kind of body types, people from all different backgrounds, and that this sort of love of this nostalgia aesthetic and, and some of this, the, the best of it is for everyone. And um, th- there's a great community. I just, I love connecting with other people through this. It's been a really wonderful journey. And I am looking forward to when the pandemic is over, actually being able to connect with people in person again. Uh, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. So yeah, that is my sort of few minute perspective on what pinup is. So let's move on to the spooky stuff. So today for my real life ghost story, supernatural story, I'm going to talk about my own personal experience as a child in a house that I lived in that I, I, I do believe was, was haunted or something very strange was going on. So this, at this time I was about, I want to say seven, maybe eight years old, somewhere around first grade. We were living in a home in San Jose, and uh, I'm not going to give you the address because I'm pretty sure that the current residents would not appreciate a bunch of people showing up. So I'm just going to say it was an older home, you know, definitely something um, built around the turn of the century, and it had a really unique layout. I've never lived in a home with a layout like this before. It had the old doors, the old doorknobs with the the keyholes that were so humongous, (laughs) you you could look through the keyhole and spy on people. We probably did as children because that's what children do. So, <laughs> and that's the kind of kids we were. So this, there's, was a number of incidents that happened here that led me to believe it's, you know, haunted, that there's some supernatural things going on there. But I'm going to start with one that really stuck with me to this day. So on this particular afternoon, it was on a weekend, and my mom and my brother and sister were all out in the front yard with some neighbors hanging out, and my dad was at work. And um, I was in the front room and the layout of this house was such that the front room, you could walk from the front room into the bedroom, into the bathroom, into the next bedroom, then into the kitchen, then back into the, we call the dining room front room area. And so you could basically walk in a circle, like just continually walk through the house. And so on this particular day, I'm in the, I'm in the living room and I look and I see a shadow of a person going from the living room into the bedroom. 
and I thought maybe my dad had gotten home early or something, so I started following it, and of course, as I get into the bedroom, the shadow, I see the shadow going into the bathroom, and I basically follow it through the entire house, and each time I get into the room, the shadow is exiting into the next room, and... I think about halfway through, I realized something wasn't right. I'm like, this isn't my dad. What's going on? And I'm getting scared, but I keep following. And eventually we get, we loop back through to the front room. I don't see it exiting back into the bedroom again. So I'm assuming it went out the front door. And so I run out the front door where my mom and neighbors are hanging out. And I said, did someone come out the door just now? And of course, the answer was no. And I said, oh, I think someone was in the house. And so, of course, my mom freaks out. My neighbors freak out. Everyone runs into the house and there's no one there. So I'm embarrassed. My mom thinks it's my imagination. Everyone thinks I imagined it. But it was very real. It was very real to me at the time. It's one of those things that stuck with me. And um, as I continue to tell the story, you'll see I get, there's confirmation that I was not the only one who experienced this in this house. So I had some other, I'm going to go over my other experiences and then and then continue on with how I got confirmation, but I had a number of times where I was in that state of, I was about to fall asleep, so I wasn't awake, I wasn't asleep, it would be, happened a few times at night, it also happened sometimes during the day when I would be taking like a nap, and I would feel someone grab me, like grab my leg or my arm, and it was... I very much felt it. I would wake up and there would be no one there. And there was one time at night when I could hear voices. It was like they were in the room arguing. And it wasn't my parents. It was definitely like, it almost sounded like it was coming from above me, but there was no attic. There was no place for people to be. And it sounded like they were right there arguing. And I heard someone throw something and I felt it land on my feet. And I shot up in bed. And and then I heard the voices. It was almost like, as if the other one said to the other, like, you see what you've done like waking waking me up um it was so strange i mean there were so many weird things that happened like this in this house uh i, I don't want to i need to go into all of them but uh it just so happened after we moved out of that house so we were renting that house and after we moved out it just so happened a family that we were friends with moved in after us and there were they had two daughters so one of them was my age and we were friends and the other one was, you know, a teenager, so she couldn't be bothered with us usually, uh, <laughs> as is as is usually with your teenage siblings. So when I went over there to play one time, we were in the bedroom where there was this huge walk-in closet that had always creeped me out. It it was a weird, like long, deep closet you could walk into, but it was kind of narrow, so it was it was just so odd. And it also had the the light, big doorknob with the keyhole, the giant keyhole. And I noticed they had stuffed paper into the keyhole. And I asked my friend, her older sister just so happened to be there. And I was like, why did you guys stuff paper in there? And the older sister, she's like, I saw a red eye looking out at me through that keyhole. And my friend, so they went on about all the stuff that had happened to them in this house. And the older sister, she, again, she normally couldn't be bothered with us. And I could tell she was genuinely freaked out, which freaked me out. Um... So I got confirmation that what happened to me, it didn't just happen to me in this house. It just so happened to happen to the people that moved in after me. So in preparation for this podcast and sharing this story with you guys, I decided to do internet research. I went down a rabbit hole and discovered this phenomenon called shadow people. And you guys, it's crazy. There are so many stories. This is a phenomenon that goes way back, way, way back. (laughs) And... It's a, it's a little like creepy 
but comforting because I, again, I'm not the only one. Lots of people have happened. I'm not crazy. But then do you want to have something like that confirmed? It's creepy. So, and, and, I, and I'm going to share with you guys a, a bunch of stuff that I found. And, and you'll hear me flipping through pages because I took a bunch of notes. This is, like I said, it's a rabbit hole. I listen to a podcast after a podcast. I read articles and I watch this crazy documentary. So let's kind of start with some of the general stuff I found on the internet. Uh, do do Can you give me a second here? I'm hoping I can edit out my in-between stuff, but we'll see. <laughs> New to this whole podcast thing. So shadow people, I listened to the Scary Real podcast, and they talked a little bit about some stories on Reddit. There was a guy who also had a thing with a walk-in closet in the shadow people, which just gave me goosebumps when I heard them talking about that. Uh, and, and then... I found a researcher, a researcher and writer who's into the supernatural named Rosemary Ellen Guiley or Gilly. Unfortunately, I'm probably butchering her last name. Um, she has written a bunch of books and there was an interview with her on Psychology Today where she identified, she said through her research, she believes that these shadow people are actually jinn, which in the Western world we call genies. But in Islamic culture, the jinn have been around for, for a long time. And actually, there have been stories of shadow people in a lot of cultures. This, this goes back to ancient times. So this isn't something new. And um, the jinn are essentially like shapeshifters. So there was a documentary I found on Amazon called Supernatural Assault. And it, I should warn you guys if you're going to watch it. It was, it was very interesting, but it was also terrifying. <laughs> Don't watch it at night. Uh, you're not going to sleep. But they had a. They just went into a deep dive on this whole subject matter. And they had so many people talk about their stories. Uh, Rosemary was on it as well as some other sort of people who had, had researched this, um, who had a degree of credentials. And um, she says that shadow people in this, she explains that shadow people are one of the most common paranormal experiences that people have. And in general, for the most part, they actually are very malevolent and frightening. And that appears to kind of be their goal. So if you look at this Islamic creation story, God had created angels and jinn and angels were made from light and jinn were from smokeless flame, which Rosemary equates to being like plasma again, going back to them being shapeshifters and, and being sort of outside of the realm of us being able to perceive them completely, for, for lack of a better way to explain it. Again, you can watch the documentary if you want all the scientific jargon. <laughs> I'm probably going to screw that up a little bit. But uh, apparently the word jinn in Arabic implies something hidden from the eyes. So again, it's that thing where they are of a different dimension. So going back to the creation story, God created the jinn and angels first in this Islamic creation story, and then humans, and asked the jinn and the angels to bow to the humans. The jinn were like, no way, humans suck, they're lame. That's what, that's my interpretation. Uh, that's probably not what was that. <laughs> that's not what the researchers, how they put it. That's how I'm putting it. Uh, so they refused, and they were banished to another dimension. So they are interdimensional beings. And God, they wanted a chance to prove themselves. So God said, you have until judgment day to prove that humans are inferior. So supposedly under this story, they are out to mess with humans because they don't like us. They want the earth back. They think we stink. Moving on, the, the jinn are strongly associated actually with sleep paralysis 
and the myths of incubus and succubus, which of course we know has to do with, with sleep paralysis as well. And also what's called SUNS, which is Sudden Unexplained Nocturnal Death Syndrome. And that is actually something I would like to talk about more in a future podcast because this where people die in their sleep from nightmares is is a con is, it has happened there are documented stories and it is actually what inspired Wes Craven to do Nightmare on Elm Street which I would love to talk about that's one of my favorite horror movies so um we can talk more about that later but there is an association it's amazing the gin are kind of associated with all kinds of things from like demons to ghosts um speculated they're aliens which I guess if they're from another dimension kind of are and they do kind of deep dive into the science uh, uh, of this. Um, they talk about string theorists and subatomic physicists saying there it for a fact there's other dimensions that's not disputed. They theorize there's eleven dimensions. Um, seems like a random number to me. I would think it would be infinite, but I'm not an expert, so I don't know. Uh, but they talk about also how. Um, we humans can only perceive, I guess it's 0.035% of the electromagnetic spectrum. So if these beings are slightly outside of that, we may not actually just be able to perceive them all the way, which might explain why they look like shadows um, versus anything fully formed. So that's another sort of interesting uh, take on that. So again, it's it's a rabbit hole. There's a lot on there. If you wanted to check out that, that documentary on Amazon, um, it was free. Uh, but again, I recommend you do it. Watch it during the day, unless you're not easily scared. So yeah, that is my story. That is the information I found that kind of backed up my experience. Is it real? Is it not real? Was it a child's imagination? I don't really know, but I do believe there are things in this world that cannot be explained as of yet. There's so much. I think it's kind of silly to think we, we know everything. I mean, it's easy to fall into that trap in our modern world to think we have everything figured out, but the truth is we don't. There's a lot we don't know, and science may be able to explain this someday. Could be a long way in the future, maybe not, but um, I'm going to categorize that in the unknown, and I'm going to say it's neither this nor that. It's not proven. It's not disproven. So that is my ghost story for today. So let's move on to our media review. So for this, I'm going to review the movie Crimson Peak. It was recently added to Netflix. So if you have Netflix, it's, again, it's not something you, well, you pay for Netflix, but you don't have to pay extra for the movie or anything. And I actually did see this when it first came out in the theaters, and I loved it. It was a great movie to see on the big screen. If you get a chance to see it on the big screen, um, you didn't get to originally, I definitely recommend it. It's Guillermo del Toro directed it, and... Um, in a nutshell, it's a, you know, it's a gothic romance. A young woman in America comes from an aristocratic family, falls in love with her Englishman, moves with him to his home after family tragedy, and the house is so haunted, and it's crazy, and um, I'm going to try to let you know if there's, if I'm giving you any spoilers, but I, I'm going to tell you now there might be a little bit uh, of spoilers. I'll do my best. So, um, again, directed by Guillermo del Toro. The main characters, uh, Edith, Edith Cushing, she's the main character. It's played by Mia Vashikovska. I hope I said that right. And the other actors playing Thomas Sharp, the lead actor, and Lucille Sharp, his sister, are played by Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain. They're two of my favorite actors. I love them. So th that was a big plus for me in seeing this film. So let's kind of dive in from the beginning. So... You know, Edith is a child. Her mother dies 
and uh, she sees the ghost of her mother. Her mother comes to her and warns her, beware of Crimson Peak. Very cryptic. Obviously, we, we understand by the end of the movie what she means by that. Um, and, and one of the things I loved, you see, is the relationship between Edith and her father. He, they live in this Victorian era where it's, it's kind of stuffy. There's a lot of annoying, aristocratic, bougie stuff that's expected of her, and she's just not into it, which I can relate to. You know, she's a writer. She wants to be the next Jane Austen. She's more, she's not into all that floof. And I kind of like that, you know, kinda, and, her, and her father supports that. Like, even though in this time period, that's not generally accepted for a woman to do, he's behind her. He accepts her for who she is. He doesn't try to change her. And I thought that was really cool. Their relationship is just really sweet. And I enjoyed that. So, and of course, all the beautiful costumes in this. Oh my gosh, you guys, I love Victorian era aesthetic. Um, I guess I love older aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it's just so beautifully done. All the costumes are gorgeous. And, you know, the home they live in is just so beautiful. There's a lot uh, of eye candy. I guess I shouldn't say eye candy because actually Guillermo del Toro, I, I was reading on the internet in an interview, he said, this isn't eye candy, this is eye protein. And I like that. I can agree with that. So yeah, and as we are introduced to the Sharps, they are a wealthy aristocratic family from... Britain, his title, I find it funny because his title is Baronet, and I don't feel like they ever really explain it. It's an odd title I've never heard. Um, I'm not sure what that's about, but it was kind of funny. So anyway, he's trying to get investors into his uh, machine that he's had built to help him mine the clay on his land. They're, they're clearly a little down on their luck, even though they have their titles. You know, people with titles don't always have money. So he's looking for investors, and that's how he meets Edith, her father, is one of the people he approaches. So they meet, they fall in love, um, and they there's a tragedy. Her father dies. So uh, we're going to start getting into spoiler territory here. I'll do my best not to give too much away. So anyway, as the story progresses, you know, their, their home, Crimson Peak, is a beautiful estate. At the same time, it's sinking into the ground. It's clearly falling apart. There's a hole in the ceiling. Nonetheless, oh, as a goth girl, I just, I love it. It's it's a, so gorgeously decorated. The set's amazing. And the ghosts, the way they did the ghosts in this movie are so cool. They look kind of like they're dissolving underwater. So even when they're moving all rough and scary, it's like there's blood sort of dissolving away off them. So it's not dripping on the ground. It's like dissolving into the air. It's so cool the way they did it. And I'm not normally a fan of CG in movies, but they this was really well done. So cool. And apparently Guillermo del Toro took nine years to make this movie. So obviously those details were, were just on point. He also, I was reading how he had, he paid so much attention to connecting things and creating details. Like he had two sets of furniture made so that when Edith was really frightened, she would be in, like sitting in a chair that was bigger than normal so it would make her appear smaller. Uh, things like that, man. That's that To me, that's just, ooh, that artistic attention to detail is what really gets me going and <laughs> watching a movie. I just love seeing that kind of thing. So anyhow, the movie progresses. I'm not going to give away the big plot twist at the end, but I will say I didn't, See, you, you knew it's all going to fall apart. You know it's all going to come to a head. I didn't see the, the the very sort of the truth about the relationship between uh, Lucille and Thomas. I didn't see that coming. Uh, it's pretty twisted. I'm not going to give any more away than that. But it was an interesting plot twist. It's dark. 
<laughs> it is a gothic romance slash horror movie. So, yeah, um, I want to give props to the casting in this as well because Mia Wachikowska, I've seen her in other movies. I've, her acting is is very understated, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. For me personally, again, that's just a personal thing. But because Jessica Chastain and Tom Hiddleston, they're so strong and intense, and their characters are just kind of insane. She almost Mia's character is Edith. She provides this kind of grounded center to things and it works really well in contrast with the other two so I thought it was great perfect casting for this and it worked really really well I love 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 Jessica Chastain she did such a good job of portraying this person where there's it's beneath the surface you can tell there's more going on there's a darkness there's a intensity there and and by the end of the movie as she becomes more unhinged and she just starts going crazy, man, her, her performance was just so good. I really appreciated it. And I just, I'm a big fan of hers anyway. So uh, probably a little biased there myself, but yeah. So anyhow, I don't want to give any more away, but I will say it was a fantastic movie. Really well done. I, I'm thinking of getting it on DVD just so I can always have it and go back to it. I think it's definitely gonna be something I want to view again and again, because there's so much eye protein. So <laughs> Anyhow, um, that, that's my movie review. And let's, uh, let's get on to listener questions. So I'm going to flip my page to this. So before uh, we finish those, if anybody has listener questions that you want to send in, um, you can email me. I, I got an email, pinups at pinupsandpoltergeist at gmail.com. Again, pinupsandpoltergeist at gmail.com. You can send me your thoughts, anything you think would be fun for me to cover in the future, any questions that you have, feel free to send those on. Again, I'd like for this to kind of be a conversation in a way uh, where, where people contribute. So just putting that out there. So here we go. Listener questions. So obviously I, I just started, so I didn't have listener questions. So I put this out on my socials. And if you want to follow me on social media, I am on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube. You just look up Ruby Stardust. My handle on Instagram is at the underscore Ruby underscore Stardust. And uh, yeah, feel free to follow me. Send me messages there. Nothing creepy, please. <laughs> but if you don't want to do the email, the Gmail thing, you can send me messages that way about the podcast and I will uh, get them. So first listener question is from or friend social media question is from Jenna W. And she says, who or what inspires you towards pinup? So I think I mentioned earlier my grandparents, my, my grandma, my sort of experiences growing up, but the pinups that inspire me, I think a lot of us goth girl retro fans are into Betty Page, and I also really love Marilyn Monroe. I, I'm really big on her films. I just think they're so fun and enjoyable. I love the dialogue and the sassiness in them. Uh, I love Hedy Lamarr. She was pretty fantastic. And of course, I love Elvira. <laughs> Here I am doing a horror podcast. <laughs> yes, I love Elvira and Dita Von Teese I'm also very inspired by. So those are some of my inspirations. Moving on, Julie asks, how do you style yourself? Do you have certain role models and do you use tutorials? So we kind of answered the role model question already, but in terms of how I style myself, I, I kind of just gather inspiration. So I have, I do Pinterest a lot. I surf YouTube. So yes, tutorials. I absolutely, especially when I was first really getting into pinup and I wanted to 
do photos and work with photographers, I knew I needed to really have everything dialed in. So I did watch a lot of tutorials. Some of the, uh, two of the ones that come to mind first is Cherry Dollface's tutorials and Pinup Doll Ashley Marie. They have a lot of stuff, a lot of great tips, even, was it Cherry, yeah, Cherry Dollface has even something on doing pinup contests, which I found very helpful because I've been in a number of pinup contests and I won, I've won twice. Uh, so yeah, um, definitely tutorials. Styling myself, it's just, I take inspiration from things. I do practice. And yeah, you know, it's it's all about kind of the community experience of it, really. I follow a lot of other pinups on social media and just seeing what people doing will give me ideas and I, and I will take things and make them my own. So yeah, hope that answers your question, Julie. Amy A. asks, how much time does it take to get ready to go out in a pinup look? So that depends on what what I'm doing, what I'm going out for. So if I'm just like going out for night in the town, um, I'm, I want to look good, but I'm not going to obsess over looking perfect. So it might take me like an hour and a half or so to get ready. Um, when I do a photo shoot, that can take anywhere from two, it's taking me as long as five hours. That will, that was unusual. I did, I did a photo shoot where I did Bride of Frankenstein and that was special effects makeup. That took five hours, took forever but it turned out amazing. So yeah, for a photo shoot, two to three hours generally, because I'm trying, everything needs to be perfect. I'm really obsessed with the vision and making everything come together like it should. So I, I, I'm working on stuff weeks ahead of time. I practice my looks. I have the costumes already. I do, I do my own little mini photo shoots in them to make sure everything works. I practice my hair. So the day of, I really, really dial in those details. So it just depends on what I'm doing, but hopefully that answers your question. I can do like a retro everyday look that takes about half an hour, maybe 20 minutes. Um, that's not really super pin up. I'm not doing winged eyeliner, just doing a basic makeup and some kind of retro styled hair. So I, I make it a little retro, but not the full on pin up. Yeah. So that's do do do. Actually, there's one last listener, it wasn't a question. I, I asked people, I told people what I was doing and what movie I was reviewing. And I was like, if you have any thoughts on the movie, let me know. So I'm reading this one last because it is definitely a spoiler. So if you don't want any like serious spoilers and you want to see the movie, you probably want to end the podcast now. But I'm going to share what my friend Stacy had to say about Crimson Peak. Um, it's a really cool, she, she obviously loved it and I, I just wanted to share. So here it goes. She says, Crimson Peak is by far one of the coolest movies done by Guillermo. His creep factor brought the movie brought to this movie was amazing. Tom Hiddleston is perfect. He's charming yet creepy in this movie. The fact that he is doing his sister's bidding to keep Crimson alive by marrying all these young heiresses and then his sister kills them by poison. The only reason Mia was able to escape was because he actually loved her and didn't want to do this anymore. His demise was a sad one. And I agree. It was a just it was tragic, beautiful, scary, sad, yet completely riveting couldn't couldn't take my eyes off of the film so yeah uh, I agree with you Stacey <laughs> thanks for sending that in so <clears throat> thanks everyone for listening and um, please subscribe and leave reviews if if you enjoyed it or if you didn't let me know what you think I am open to all constructive criticism I want to make this as fun and exciting as I can and just share my love of pinup and all things spooky with all of you so until next time, I hope you all are doing well and stay creep-tastic. Bye.